Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. My name is On. I'm so glad to be here today. Um, when my husband and I, last night we were talking about babe. Well, I call my husband babe, not you guys. But I said, babe, like, how do I start? Like, what's my intro? And he gave me his ideas, and he was like, you know, babe, I love it when people share personal stories so that you kind of get to know them. And I looked at him, and I said, that's a terrible idea. I've got, I've got zero stories. I'm really stressing out here. And he was like, you're going to do great. And so I started thinking, okay, like, most of you don't know me. And so I figured I'd share five fun facts about me. And if you know these five fun facts, you pretty much know on Johnson. All right, so first one, I have a deep and profound love for fried chicken, like, like deep. I can eat that every day. Um, I got saved when I was 19 years old at, when I was a freshman at UW, um, which really shows that miracles happen on non-Christian universities every day. I am married this May. We celebrate seven years which is like 35 Hollywood marriages. So can I just get like some clap for that? Like that's seven years, y'all. And we have two little girls, four and five, Kyrie and Kenzie, and I call them my tiny typhoons because they are everywhere they go. You hear them because they sound like chipmunks and they're running, running, running everywhere. And they're incredible. My fourth fun fact is I live in Linden And if you know anything about Linden, you know that it's an incredibly diverse place for cows. Um, I stand out, and it's, it's cool. It's cool. I'm down with that. And my fifth fact about myself is that I was not given the gift of brevity. I can talk forever. So I want to honor your time. I'm just going to dive right in. So will you close your eyes and bow your head? Jesus, I thank you so much for today, Lord. I thank you so much that you have given me a word that has really been challenging for me. And Lord, I pray that as I share what you're really working on in my own life, God, that it would resonate, that it would challenge, and it would encourage people here. Lord, I thank you for the blessing of the church. I thank you for the blessing of community. And I pray that your presence would just be here today. And Lord, that I would not stand in the way of what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so usually uh, when Christian asked me to preach on today, the last Sunday of the year, I started thinking about every end of the year sermon I've ever heard. And it's usually really geared towards the future, right? Resolutions, like, and I, I really don't have three fail-proof ways for you to incorporate more Jesus in your life. Like, I, 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 I've got zero tips for that. I don't have five really hardcore ways for you to be happier in 2018, probably eat more bacon. That's been my go-to for a really long time now. So you can incorporate that in your life. And um, so I was praying, okay, Lord, like, what do you want me to share? And um, I actually, like, I was driving to Hillcrest for a mom's group that meets on Tuesday mornings, first and third Sunday. I'd love to see you there. It's a great time. And I was, like, praying, like, okay, Lord, like, what do you want me to share? And I had this super spiritual moment, you know, worship music was going and I was just having this encounter where I was complaining. So I actually wasn't spiritual at all. I was just being a brat and I was like complaining. I was like, Lord, like, okay, like, what do you want me to share? And I was just going, like, I was complaining because I really thought when we moved up here, the blessing of the Lord would be so much greater for our radical act of faith. 
You see, in the middle of um, May, on May 15th, I was on a prayer retreat, and I heard the Lord ask me, if I asked you to jump, would you trust me to catch you? And I responded, yes. Not because I'm super spiritual, it's because several days prior during staff prayer retreat, he asked me the same question, and I said, no. There's really no point in lying to God. And immediately, I was convicted that I was too comfortable. And I was kind of offended by that conviction. Like, what do you mean I'm too comfortable? I didn't become a Christian to be comfortable. I didn't become a Christian to be convenient. Like, what What are you talking about? And so I began to wrestle with that. So that was what I went into my prayer retreat, just really focused on, like, okay, Lord, like, what am I comfortable with? Like, what in my life needs to be shaken up? What in my life requires actual faith in you to come through? And so when the Lord said, if you ask me to jump... Um, if I asked you to jump, would you trust me to catch you? I said yes, and immediately I knew what the Lord was asking our family to do. So I called my husband, and I said, hey, I feel like God has spoken to you. He has spoken to me, and we haven't said it out loud because we know the moment that we do, things are going to be bananas. And he just laughs, and he goes, yes. So I, go, I finish my prayer retreat. I go home, and we're sitting on my bed, and it was like 8.30 at night, and I just said, okay, God, I feel like God's telling us to go north. I feel like he's telling us to go. We have to go. And my husband, who is the calm to my crazy, because there's a lot of it, he just goes, yes. And that was his response. And so we call my pastor. It was 9 p.m. at that night. And I just called him. I got him on the phone. He's on speaker. And I said, hey, heads up. God spoke to Riley and I. We're moving to Bellingham. This is my resignation. And he laughs because he knows that I'm crazy. And so he goes, okay, I'll call the lead pastor. And so that night I resigned from my full-time ministry position at Canyon Creek Church where I was an associate pastor. The next day we sat down with our kids and, you know, they were at that time three and four. And we were sitting down and I said, hey, kids, God is calling us to do something pretty crazy. And we want to obey the first time and we want to obey quickly because those are the two things we teach our kids to do is to obey the first time and to obey quickly. And my daughter at the time, my older one, looks at me dead in the eyes and she goes, we're moving to Bellingham. And I said, yeah, how did you know? She goes, oh, mom, God, God already told me. He speaks to me when I can't sleep at night. And I, I'm like trying not to like freak her out, but like crying and sobbing uncontrollably because I'm so proud and excited for her. And so I'm like, okay, that's really great. She's like, should we start packing? And I was like, okay, calm down. And then I look at my younger one. And I'm like, okay, Kenzie, what do you think? And she looks at me dead in the eyes, and she goes, meow. <laughs> See, she was in her cat character. And that, that, I, I, you can't break that character. So she's dead on, she, meow. But it wasn't protesting. Like, she wasn't like, meow. She, was just like, she acknowledged that we were, we were leaving. So that was my, you know. Those are, those are my kids, my tiny typhoons. And so the next day, we, I told our staff. Thursday, we told the church. It became public knowledge. Friday, we met with the real estate agent. Saturday, we did work on our house. Sunday, we rested. Monday, so seven days later, photos of our home were, was taken. Tuesday, our house went on the market. Wednesday, we sold our house, and we, we, began, we moved. And so um, we didn't move so quickly because we're, again, incredibly, like we have everything figured out. We moved quickly because we know if we waited, we would have disobeyed. So we just went. And as I moved up here and I said, like, I live in Linden. Uh, a lot of my nights after moving up here was the Lord, like you could have called me anywhere, but why Linden? <laughs> and I'm still really trying to figure that out. So that's still something that's happening in our lives. And, um, 
So I was complaining, and somewhere along the line in my move up here, our families move up here, I began to view my relationship with God as a transaction, that you would bless me if I am obedient. The greater my obedience, the greater the blessing, right? And I was complaining and complaining on the car ride to Hillcrest, and very clearly, I heard the Lord say, remember your rescue, And almost immediately, I began to feel all the things that I felt prior to coming to Jesus, prior to knowing that he is my Lord and Savior. I began to feel the darkness that I lived in. I began to feel the brokenness that was my existence. I began to feel the anger and the resentment of my child. I began to feel all the feels. And immediately, I I also started seeing visions of who I was. I started beginning, I started um, seeing moments in my life where God preserved me and I didn't even know he existed. I remember the moments where I would cry, sob in my bed because I didn't think I was worth anything. I didn't feel like I was worthy of being loved. I remember the moment that I decided and cried out to God and said, God, I don't deserve a lot, but I deserve more than this. And that was because my freshman year of college, a guy left me naked in bed and I was sobbing because I was trying to find my identity in the things of the world. And God kept calling to me and saying, find your identity in me. I love you. You are worth it. No person, no man, no woman can ever tell you your worth because I've already declared your worth and I sent my son to die and rise again so that you would find yourself in him. So I began to feel all the feels and begin to see all the things that, of who I was. And so I've been wrestling with this idea of remembering my rescue. So that is what I, we're going to walk into the new year with. It's not so much all the resolutions that you can come, with, come up with to be faster, maybe thinner, maybe read more. I think my solution for everything is just wear really stretchy pants. Um, that's just my like bacon and stretchy pants. That's how I live my life. And so I, I began to really wrestle with I, this, this concept of remembering my rescue story. And so if you would turn to your Bibles, I believe in BYOB, bring your own Bible. And if you don't, we have some in the back. The very first Bible I ever received was at a youth group. And the youth pastor handed it to me. I was 17. He handed it to me and I just started crying because I didn't know what this was, but I knew it would change my life. And what was beautiful when he handed me this Bible is that he didn't just hand it to me and say, good luck. He handed it to me. He's like, read, read this book. And then after you read this book, go through the rest of this. And if you don't know where anything is, turn to the table of contents. So there's no shame if you don't know where Ephesians is. It's in the New Testament, which is sort of the back end. I went to Bible college and I still use the table of contents. There is no shame in that. And so if you flip there and as you find Ephesians 2 in your Bible, I'm just going to give you some background on the book of Ephesians. Most theologians, theologians believe that it was, it was written by Paul, so we're just going to settle that it was written by Paul. And Paul wrote this letter to Ephesians. The purpose of this letter was that the people in the church of Ephesus would remember what Jesus had done. But not just remember, but he also wanted to remind them of who they were. And so when you want to get a good spiritual slap in the face and a good old spiritual slap of reminder, you read 
Ephesians. And the letter was actually meant to be a circular letter, which meant that Paul didn't just write it so that the church in Ephesus could hear it. He wrote it so that they would hear it, and then it would be moved around to other believing communities because they all needed to be reminded of what Jesus did on the cross, and they needed to be reminded of who they were. And so we're going to start into the book. And, oh, just heads up, a um, fun fact. I don't have a map, and I have nothing in Greek, so this is just me. Um, but Ephesus was the capital of that region, and it was one of the largest cities. And it was by water, which meant it was a major trading port. So the, the purpose, I'm, I'm just going to assume, that Paul really planted there was because the gospel would be there, and then when people come, they would hear, and then they would go out, and they would spread it. And so Ephesus is a highly affluent and influential place. And so the church was thriving, yet Paul still had to remind them of the basics of our faith. And so we're going to start in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So you just see, Paul just goes right into it. Hey, heads up, evil. Our body evil, Satan is evil, you are evil. He talks about these three types of evil. The evil in the world, the broken world that we live in, the evil one, Satan, the power, the prince of the power of the air, and then he talks about the evil that's within us. And I think that that is so incredibly important to think about the evil that is in us because it's really easy to look out there and say, yeah, there's evil out there. There's sin out there. That person is broken. That person is sinning. That person clearly needs Jesus, right? It's really easy just to point out there. But Paul is telling them to look in here. Look inside of your heart and remember who you were, that you, me, us, we are capable of great evil. We are capable of of great sin because we are broken. And I don't know about you, but when I came to Jesus, it wasn't miraculously like, boom, I sin no more. It was me finally experiencing that there was something greater to live for than myself. There was something greater to live than to gratify my flesh and my passion and my mind, that there is Jesus. And I believe that it is important for us to understand the capacity of evil within us so that we can remember why we need to be rescued. And it's oftentimes in my experience of um, being a pastor and I meet so many young people and they say, I don't have a rescue story. I've been in church my whole life. I don't have this crazy story where God rescued me. Because I think it's easily forgotten amongst us as believers that we are capable, that there is evil within us that we need Jesus. I don't care how long you've been in the church, you need Jesus. I don't care how broken the person is out there, they need Jesus. And Paul is reminding us of the evil that is out there, the evil one and the evil within us, so that we would be reminded of why we need a rescuer, why we need a savior. And I'll be the first one to share, I am not up here because I have done anything to deserve the life that I get to live. Oftentimes, this is a reminder for me. Clearly, because this message came out of a complaining session I had with the Lord, and then it was just a good old spiritual slap to remind me, remember where you were, remember who I am, remember all the things. 
But I get to live this life that I live because of grace. I get to live this life that I live where I have a husband who loves me and children who run out with their little tiny feet saying, Mom, and I have to say, go back to bed. That is the life I get to live. I am not up here because I've earned a right to share the gospel. I'm up here because I'm crazy enough to be like, let me tell you all the things that Jesus did to me because you would not believe it. And I am humbled by the memories of who I was. You see, I, came, I immigrated to America when I was about two. My mom came over here with four kids because my, my biological father was incredibly abusive. So she took us all here, and we were incredibly poor. Um, like, tie plastic bags around your shoes and walk outside because you didn't know when you were getting another pair of shoes. We really, like, I was the youngest of four, and my older siblings really helped raise us because my mom had to work several jobs just to provide for us. So hunger and, and loneliness was something that I was used to, not because my mom didn't, chose not to be there. She had to work. She had to feed us. So the American dream when we immigrated to America was that you're going to work really hard you're going to get an education. You're going to do something that will make you a ton of money because that is what it is about. And so I grew up and I was incredibly driven by my desire to find my value in production and what I can produce and what I can do. And so I excelled at school. I know this is going to sound trippy. I'm not athletic. I mean, I, I look like I could be a football player, but I'm not. I, I can't even play Frisbee. Because uh, hand-eye coordination is real hard, real hard, guys. And I lived this life where I was so incredibly broken, but I didn't know any different. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know that there was somebody who wanted to rescue me, somebody who died and was resurrected so I could be reminded that I'm of value. So growing up, my, uh, pretty much my entire childhood, I was told that I was too fat, too tall, too dark-skinned, too masculine, and no one will ever love me. That was what I grew up believing. What? And, it, and now that I have two kids of my own, I cannot imagine them living a life where they believe in these lies. But broken people hurt people hurt people. And that's just a little bit of who I am. So most of my teenage and young adult years, I tried to find a lot of my identity in relationships with men because I was hoping that one of them would tell me I was valuable, that one of them would tell me that I was beautiful. And last night as I was talking about this with my husband, I said, are you okay with me sharing these parts of my story? Because I wanted to honor him and make sure that he was good with it. And he goes, it doesn't matter because who you were isn't who you are or who you will ever be. That the evil and the sin and the brokenness that you lived in is nothing you will ever walk back to. So there's no shame in sharing your story. I, there, I, I find no loss or condemnation in sharing the person that I was because that person is dead and gone. That I have new life. I have hope. I have experienced grace and joy and mercy because of Jesus so when I talk about the girl that was me, it feels like I'm talking about somebody who is dead, somebody who is long gone. 
and I was preparing for this message, I really feel like I need to encourage, if there's somebody here, and when you think about your story, you think about what you were rescued from, and there's still an element of shame and condemnation and lies from the devil saying that if you tell them, they will never love you. If you are honest and vulnerable and authentic, they will never accept you. I just want to say that is a lie from the pit of hell. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do some healing deep inside of your heart and your soul to release you from condemnation and shame. Because I don't know about you, but if the God, maker of the universe, maker of me, maker of us, says, I, have, I don't look at you with shame. I don't have condemnation for you. I have love and grace and mercy. If the maker of the universe is saying that, then that is true. Amen? And so I think that's so important that Paul goes back and talks about the evil. Because what he's about to say next is kind of like a, a game changer, right? So if we go back, if you cha- flip to your Bible, we're going to continue verses 4 through 7. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. I'm just gonna, that's just so good. I'm going to say it again. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So Paul talks about the really, in the first couple of chapters, he really goes into the depravity of man. Because he meant to contrast it with the weight of grace. That those two, we must be aware of the evil so that we can understand the grace. Because I don't know about you, verse 4, but God rich in his mercy. But God being rich in his mercy, that's a pretty big but. Like when they talk about how in an apology, anything before the but is negated, Paul is just saying like, all that, who you were, that evil. That's not what God is holding against you. That is not the life you have to live. That is not the life you have to succumb to. This is grace. This is God's mercy. This is God's goodness. This is the reality in the gospel that it is by grace you have been saved. And grace just essentially means this undeserved favor. That we have an undeserved favor. That the gift of what Jesus has done was given to us by grace. Which means that there is nothing that we can do to ever earn the cross. There's nothing we can ever do to earn salvation. But it's by undeserved favor. And as I was sharing with some of my closest friends about what I've been wrestling with with this sermon, I began to notice that I was raised in an environment, in a culture, in in a generation where there's no such thing as undeserved. There is no such thing as an undeserved thing. We have statements like, You deserve what you get. If you work hard enough, you will get what you deserve. If you work, study, like whatever, hard enough, you'll get it. That you can be and do anything you want, all the things. So I believe that in the coming years, it will be harder and harder to bring the gospel of grace to the coming generations because It is a game changer to tell somebody you don't deserve salvation when they have been raised their whole life to believe that I deserve everything. 
that there is nothing undeserved from me. But here's the thing is that when you remember your rescue story, you remember your depravity, you remember your brokenness, you remember the capabilities that you have in your heart to sin against God and to sin against each other. What comes from that is gratitude. And gratitude was what I was missing in that car ride because I became entitled. I became a person that began to really think that I deserved this major blessing, that I deserved more. And God is saying, remember who you are. Remember who you were and remember what Jesus has done for you. And I don't know about you, but I I just didn't want to continue to live in a place where I was incredibly ungrateful because when you're ungrateful and you're self-entitled, you begin to lose focus of everything that is around you. You begin to lose the sense of awe and wonder because we began to believe that we deserved it anyways. We fail to look at this beautiful place that we live where you can turn one way and see beautiful mountains that people climb for fun and water and trees and we we fail to see all of it because we began to think that we deserve it we began to think that this isn't a great gift that creation wasn't this incredible gift that we get to live in and we get to enjoy so gratitude is what happens when you remember who you were when you remember your rescue story so that you can remember that it is god rich in mercy gave us this gift that we have been saved by its grace, that undeserved favor. So since that moment, that super spiritual moment of complaining in the car, uh, going to a mom's group, I, I began to grow really convicted, very convicted of my mindset and of my attitude. And lately, God has been just showing me all the ways that he has been blessing me all the ways that he has shown up in my life. This last um, Christmas week, I actually got to see my baby niece for the first time in one and a half years because I was separated from my family. I'm crying, sorry. And God restored. God reconciled. Because Jesus just didn't die on the cross so that we can be reconciled to God the Father. He died on the cross so we can also experience reconciliation with one another. So the beauty of seeing my sisters and their kids and celebrating Christmas with them was this incredible moment where God said, I have blessed you greatly. And it's not with the things that you've expected, but it's with the things that you need. You need restoration. You need reconciliation. You need Jesus. You need to be rescued. You're still being rescued, and I'm still doing a great work in you. So I became grateful, and I have to choose gratitude every day because I have to choose to remember the person that I was because I don't know about you. Sometimes it just For me, at least, it seems like the longer I've been in the church, the more cookie-cutter everything gets the less vulnerable I become, the less authentic I become because I then sometimes believe in the lie that if people knew who I was, maybe they would think I'm not qualified to be a pastor, but that's exactly what qualifies me to be a pastor because I am messy and God rescued me. And I want to live the rest of my life sharing the good news of Jesus 
I want to live my life sharing who he is. So we're going to close out on that last chunk of scripture where it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And as I close out this time, I want to make a statement. That when you remember your rescue story, you become grateful, and grateful people are effective people in the kingdom of God. That that is what makes us effective out there in the world as we preach the gospel. In my almost 10 years of being a Christian, seven years of being a pastor, I've never met a single person that responded really well to me saying, let me tell you what Jesus can do for you. But people have responded well to, let me share what God has done for me. Let me share what Jesus has rescued me from. And the response is a response to authenticity. The response is a response to vulnerability. The response is a response to the truth that I, I don't have it all together. Surprise, neither do you. The response is that the church is not a body of people who have everything figured out, but we are a body of people. We are a community of people who are figuring it out together. That we are not here because we're perfect. We're here because we're in progress. And that I began to recognize that my salvation my rescue story was never meant to just be my own because when I share it, I get to share the hope that there is in Jesus. When I share what God has rescued me from, if it could be a reminder to people who don't know him that they are loved and they are valued, then that is the work that has been set before me and that is effective kingdom work. But it has to come from a place of gratitude. It has to come from a place where you remember who you were before Jesus came into your life. And so we're going to enter into a time of worship, and I would encourage you to do something super scary, which is I would encourage you to say, Holy Spirit, show me of all the things you have rescued me from. Show me all the things that I have buried in my memory because I didn't want to remember the pain or the darkness or the sadness or the brokenness or the brokenness. Show me. And if you are here and like myself, had begun to have a heart of entitlement, spiritual entitlement. If you began to believe that this faith that we have is a, tr a transaction where we give faith and God gives blessing, or we give faith and he gives salvation, then I would encourage you to repent, give praise, and worship. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.